Patch day at Hutton started well. No major leaks of or any of the patches around the station, which is a first. We did find a visiting trader of dubious origin wandering the corridors, bumping into cargo crates and falling over small children. Turns out he had two patches on instead of one, but, well, that was it. Until commanders began reporting in from surface bases, that is. It started with a single panicked data bus, but pretty soon the comms boards were lit up like the proverbial Christmas tree. Truckers were calling in with bug reports, not the usually usual faulty air filtration systems, recirculating farty gases, jam nozzles in the local McBargoids, or warehouse entertainment systems getting jammed on the country and western programme again though. Oh no, this time there were reports of actual bugs at ground bases in Thargoid Hill Territory. Great big bugs the size of an SRV with frickin' laser beams attached to their frickin' heads, buzzing about, interfering with people, trying to do an honest day's looting. Amid the screaming and swearing and talk of angry arrows, a lone figure in a safari suit and bush hat wanders into the control room. She looks around, hooks one thumb over her shoulder and says, I've managed to capture one if you want a closer look. The shift manager turns in time to see two more figures drag in something obscured by a metal net. It's difficult to tell exactly what it is, but going by the thrashing, growling and snapping of metallic jaws, it's either an angry cat with a dental implant or else one of the feral arrows mentioned in, in comms. As he ponders this, a whirring noise is heard and sparks fly. A circular blade slices through the net and the creature bursts free. Immediately, beams of intense burning fire lance across the room. Control consoles and their operators burst into flames and the room is filled with an acrid smoke and the smell of singed hair. Metal tentacles, I said tentacles, flail around grabbing anything and anyone within range as the massacre be begins in earnest to a soundtrack of screaming, gurgling, crackling, banging, booming and one's voice saying that they may have peed themselves. At the other end of the station in Studio 5, a group of figures sits around a desk listening to the comm feed. They look at one another, shrugs their exchange, someone slips her tea noisily. One of their number leans forward, presses a button and says, Our mics are live. It really should keep that thing on a lead. I'm Colin Allcars and I'll be your host for the evening. I'm Norma Snuckers and I think those radio players are getting really good these days. I wonder what will happen in next week's episode. I'm Mia Harkness and I got lasered in the face last night. I'm Wilma Fingerdoo and I'm getting geared up to go and kick that thing's arse. If it has one. I'm Sandy Crevice and I'm coming with you. Oh, actually, you go first. I've got a sore leg. Hmm. Well, before we all start rushing off to our deaths, should we get the headlines done? Chicks continuing at clothing conundrum causes commotion and consternation. Thargoid titans unleash unprecedented chaos as pilots brave maelstrom hearts and giant glowing sphincters. Too Hot Too Messy brings us its week 40 update. It seems we have a bumper cup of trucker incidents this week, so hold on tight and buckle up for some 
Chunky Tales. Atrus waves his pulse neutralizer in our faces. We've add it with Avic. Another week, another war pending in the galaxy. But at least our systems aren't squabbling. Uh, yet. Community news from Bardariva. Commander Chicks, the infamous neon pink jumpsuit wearing pilot, has been mysteriously absent from this week's Hutton Orbital show. Rumours abound as to the reason for his unexpected no-show, with some suggesting he may have finally pushed the fashion envelope a little too far. According to sources close to Commander Chicks, the jumpsuit in question may have been a tad too snug for comfort, leading to a potential wardrobe malfunction during last week's show. Reports suggest that a federal donor's wife, who was attending the show as a VIP guest, may have fainted at the sight of Commander Chicks' skin-tight outfit, leading to his hasty removal from the stage. But that's not all. In the chaos that ensued, Commander Chicks may have made a regrettable decision to munch on the plastic fruit adorning his hat, leading to a potentially serious dental emergency and some gastrointestinal distress. As a result, he may have been forced to take a few days off to recover. He has, however, planned a visit to Eddie Lee Wise and Sons, plus his daughters, outfitters, to the stars, uh, the stars over at Lave Station. Rumours have been circulating that Commander Chicks has been seeking a new wardrobe after the incident, suggesting that Eddie might have gone the, the inches and centimetres backwards on this measuring tape, but despite this, what better place to visit than Eddie's shop, known for its out-of-this-world fashion sense. Who, uh, Commander Chicks might have even asked Eddie's wife Babs and husband Ken uh, to concoct him an entirely new wardrobe. One that is still flashy, but maybe not quite as revealing as, as his previous outfit. Perhaps he's even requested a matching hat, but this time with actual edible fruit on top. For the benefit of Commander Deadmeat GF, that does not include pineapple. Who knows what new styles Eddie and his team will come up with. But one thing is for sure, Commander Chips will be making a statement when he returns to Hutton Orbital. But until then, we can only speculate on his new look and eagerly await his return to the show. Maybe he'll even surprise us with a fashion show, showcasing his new outfit, all its bells and whistles. Despite these setbacks, Commander Chicks remains undaunted and is said to be already planning his next outrageous outfit for his return to the Hutton Orbital stage. Stay tuned for further updates on this unfolding fashion saga. In a rather predictable turn of events, well, predictable if you listen to this very show, Pilots have finally got past Tharg the Mighty's Mighty Yeet in his maroon miasma of doom. What awaited them wasn't the crock of gold at the end of the rainbow, but in true Billy Goat Gruff style, the bigger brother of the Interceptors we've now become quite accustomed to. And yes, it appears the big things on planet surfaces that we've been tromping around and feeding Guardian Dubris in order to obtain pickled Grelic, complete with all of Errol's friends and relations hovering up the outside, were actually spaceships. Really big, really angry spaceships that crashed as, as they caught mods. 
uh, brought on by a bad case of the Jamesons. Anyway, the Maelstrom hearts are not just big. They're really, really big and uh, have a habit of throwing things at passing ships, like glaives and hydras, plus the few hundred odd missiles. And if you're wondering what a glaive was, go watch Krull. It's like that, but alien. Anyway, it appears that our poking of the big angry Thargoid nest has unleashed a tidal wave of unspeakable evil on the galaxy. Uh, well, on settlements. It appears that Errol, the little scavenger, has other friends and relations. The kinds that, if you were living in a town in the United Kingdom in the 2000s, would be hanging around in gangs and causing trouble. They've set fire to the place. They're roaming around being intimidating and they're challenging just about anyone to a fight. Probably all those bottles of Thargoid Prime they drank earlier. What's more, they've got their own version of Apex taxis standing by to be spat out by the big glowing sphincter on the Maelstrom tie-ins making a quick cruise to the settlement where you're just trying to scrub off the graffiti on the walls and put out the fires and ruin your day with lasers and giant balls of exploding caustic poo. Can anyone work out how to enter the giant glowing space sphincter? Is it a portal to somewhere unpleasant and smelly or, or just the surface of a big 3D Thargoid printer? Why do we bounce when we run into it? We suspect that the strange scrapings that pilots are taking from the outside might give us an insight into either a Titan's bath time routine, or, or lack of it, or provide Aegis and friends with new and exciting ways to find even bigger and more dangerous Thargoids. In the meantime, if you do the hack swing thing, then bring lots of rebuys. If you don't, we recommend maybe taking a nice holiday somewhere like Beagle Point until this all blows over. After 40 weeks, or 9 months, Too Hot Too Messy, the Hutton-led initiative to deliver a Hutton mug and Centauri Megagen to all the stations in the galaxy, has achieved over 72,500 deliveries. Once again, last week's deliveries were better than the lows of previous weeks, leaving the 4-week average up marginally at 1,100 deliveries a week. Two new commanders have joined the effort this week, increasing the number signed up to 288, representing 94 squadrons. Hutton still has the largest contingent, and now with 92 commanders who have delivered almost 38,000 mugs, more than half the total. But thanks still go to all the other squadrons taking part and delivering the other half. The Buckyball Racing Club are still in second place with over 4,300. The Winged Hussars are in third with over 3,000. The Paladins are in fourth with 1,800. The Bear Pitcher are 300 behind them in 5th, the Anti-Xeno Initiative are 6th, the oddly named one-man squadron The Order of 12 has jumped into the 1000 Club straight into 7th place. The Soteria Record are 8th and the Undead are 9th. Well done to Commander Border Reaver for that epic run straight into the 7th slot. Commander Chicks is still leading the deliveries table with over 9800 mugs delivered. Some say that he thinks the first 10,000 mugs will be the hardest. Waller 81 is second with over 8,600 deliveries, ahead of Nemb in third with over 5,500, and Shea Blackwood in fourth with over 4,200, ahead of Infinite Dreamer in fifth with over 2,600. The 1000 Club has 13 members. 
Of course, we know all this because it is tracked live in the Too Hot Too Messy event page in the Hunt and Helper. In addition to trying to impress the Vista Genomics lady with your mugging prowess, and let's face it, she's only interested in your fr fruit extra, there is a chance to win a real-world, handle-at-a-jaunty-angle, dishwasher-unsafe, self-heating hut mug. Any commander that delivers 10 mugs and gin in the weekly Thursday-to-Thursday -Thursday period will be entered into the next week's draw to win a real Hutton mug. Unless, of course, you already have one. 38 lucky commanders have accomplished this so far, and you can see a little golden mug next to their names in the top commander's table. Last week's winner was Bandicoot. So keep listening to for this week's winner to be announced in the banter bit after the news. If you had delivered 10 mugs and gin every week since the start, nine months ago, you would have racked up over 400 deliveries. And only 31 commanders, that's just one out of nine, have actually done that. If you haven't, why not give it a try and share the burden? In order to join in the fun, you'll need to sign up by downloading the Hutton Helper from hot.fothermug.com download. And then you can sign up your mug and gin deliveries will be automatically registered by for you by Antarius's non-GMO grass-fed replicant hamsters, which come with a limited lifespan and real-grown lab fare and are capable of actually reading a script. We have a number of minor truck incidents to report this week. First, a message and a warning from Commander Little Grey. Commander Little Grey is known for his lucrative hauling missions and his ability to deliver goods across the galaxy in record time. But what happens when one of his cargo racks turns out to be a bunk bed instead? Little Grey found out the hard way, hauling 16,000 tonnes of cargo across the galaxy only to discover that one of his cargo racks had been used as a dot house for a number of rather lost truckers who appear to have been sleeping off a CMG-induced hangover. As it turns out, the bunk bed was a passenger cabin and not suitable for hauling cargo, mainly as the cargo squashed all the throw cushions and probably destroyed the coffee machine in the corner. <coughs> Though that could be the double-brewed, triple-potent pot of Hutton Blend coffee he'd left on a medium heat for a week. Now, you may be thinking, what's so bad about having a bunk bed in your cargo hold? Surely it could be a cosy spot to catch some zeds during those long hauls across the galaxy. But, as Little Grey soon found out, a bunk bed isn't exactly the most practical piece of equipment for transporting goods. Little Grey may have been too focused on profits to notice the mistake, but his cargo had other ideas. Rumour has it that his cargo started asking for diversions to go pick up beer and giving him one-star reviews on the galactic Yelp equivalent. But Little Grey is not one to let a mistake get in the way of a good time. He has already set his sights on his next mission, and this time he'll be sure to double-check his cargo racks before setting off. In the world of hutton truckering, it's all about learning from your mistakes and using that knowledge to improve the size and potency of your load. Commander Little Grey's story serves as a reminder to all commanders to stay focused, pay attention to detail and never underestimate the importance of a fine rack. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be able to haul bunk beds across the galaxy. 
For now, we'll just stick to the cargo. Then there was poor Happy Moon Monkey, henceforth known as the Happy Hurling Monkey. The infamous Grelic strike again. It seems that even the most experienced pilots are not immune to the effects of these glowing guardian goodies. Especially not Commander Alec Turner, but the tale about that about why he was asking Rangtar to sniff his finger after pushing one into the bar is for another week. Commander Happy Moon Monkey shared their recent experience with motion sickness in the SFE while collecting probes and pickling relics. In a mission to Houghton Control, Happy Moon Monkey confessed to suffering from SRV motion sickness and explained that this was not the first time they'd encountered it. He admitted to that should have turned on horizon levelling to avoid the vertigo-inducing ride, but still managed to have fun despite the nausea. But the real trouble began when Happy Moon Monkey tried to leave the surface site. The combination of motion sickness and too many pickled green relics, relics proved too much for them, and they found themselves stranded in their green dolphin ship, patiently waiting for the sickness to pass. We can only imagine the scene inside the ship as Happy Moon Monkey battled the after-effects of the pickled relic binge. Did they make dinosaur noises at the porcelain telephone? Did they pray at the ceramic altar? Or did they redecorate the ship's head green? It's a mystery that only Happy Moon Monkey can answer. Maybe after a bit of a lie down. For those not in the know, relics are guardian relics that emit a glow and are highly sought after by commanders for their beauty and potential value. However, as Happy Mon- Monkey's experience demonstrates, they should be enjoyed in moderation to avoid any unpleasant side effects. So the next time you embark on a SRV expedition, remember to watch your relic intake and, ter- and turn on horizon levelling. And if you do find yourself feeling queasy, just remember, even the best commanders can have a bit of an in-the-ear imbalance sometimes. We recommend a session on one of those little cars that goes round the insides of stations for a bit until it settles down. Get even trackers! It's a 50 60 reporting in with the latest updates on the Fargoid War. <clears throat> New types of Fargoids have been spotted in the heart of the milestones. What could this mean for humanity as war continues to be waged across the edge of the bubble? The successful initiative to bring new pulse wave neutralizer to the market has allowed Hexwing Planet to finally move deeper into the heart of the Tyrannus Maelstrom to see what new threats awaiting humanity. Through the brave leadership of Commander Azeraphil, Hexwing discovered what is being called a Thargoid Titan. Bearing a strong resemblance to the Thargoid surface site discovered across the Pleiades in 3307. The Titan acts as a mothership launching scouts, interceptors, and new Thargoid ferry called the Glaive. It also is the source of the pulse wave that was preventing commanders from entering the heart of the maelstrom. The Glaive presents a new tactical 
Tactical challenge for Alex pilots having the maneuverability of a Thargoid scout, but the lightning attack and shield of an interceptor. It also has an anti-Guardian pulse wave that destroys Guardian base weapons and modules, meaning our modified shard cannons are not going to be too effective against it. In addition to that, the Glaive has also been spotted at planetary bases under attack by the Thargoids, meaning AX pilots will have to consider changing their weapon donuts to enhance AX weapons provided by Aegis and any other and any Guardian based module reinforcement packages for the standard version. In addition to the discovery of the Titan and the Glaive, Thargoid Scouts seem to have gotten a tactical boost and are now far more aggressive at attacking commanders in conflict zones outside these stations and planetary bases. Not only have discoveries been made in space, but also at surface ports of control systems, Revenant, a Thargoid military drone, have been spotted at the surface base of Thargoid control system. Aegis, or is it Aegis, has announced new operations and initiatives to help retake these systems by commanders bringing the fight to the Thargoids on foot to help reactivate the base defences at these sites thus helping humanity to repel the Thargoids from the system. <coughs> this week, we face 18 invasions and numerous alerts across all fronts. Haxwing will begin the week by defending Hazur near the Kirkijo Maelstrom. The system's only Coriolis station is under attack. Combat and EVAC pilots as well as supply missions will be needed there, so any pilots participating should outfit their ships accordingly. Kelsoceric surface missions are available at both Gishe Orbital and the damaged outpost Valdez Horizons. We get plenty to do, trackers, and Hackswing can continue to use your support. See you on the front lines! After months of war in Avic, the torch of control of the little system has finally passed to another. Lee Young Rui's Sirius Corporation have been eyeing up the executive office on, Bru on Bruce Prospect for some time now, and this week they finally had the opportunity to paint the walls green. Many observers are blaming engineer Marco Quent whose mastery of the power plant can turn a potato into Sellafield. Quent runs his operation out of Sirius, which is permit-locked by the aforementioned Sirius Corporation. Alvin is a proud leader, but he's also a benevolent one. Tired of seeing Cutton pilots suffering financial hardship of rebuys from the never-ending conflict, he has decided to let the corporate masterminds enjoy their moment of glory. He is undecided on the next steps, whether to bow-wow out gracefully or to bite back. But in the meantime, he hopes that the new system controllers enjoy the presents he left for them. Right in the middle of the carpet. A quieter week still, but there is trouble brewing. We have another war pending in you-know-where, with uh, you-know-who. Six systems find themselves on the naughty step this week, but it could have been seven. More on those stories coming up. It was pretty much another race to the bottom this week, 
Again, one by the smallest of margins, but this time by Stein 2051 on 33. Pipping Hill Pass C to the wooden spoon by a third of a point. Stein 2051 is recovering from last week's pirate attack following a period of decline, but the minor factions are not currently squabbling, so now is a great time to go in there and boost her influence. As mentioned above, Hilpassi continues its doldrum dwelling, sitting on 33%, but it is also a quiet time there. So jump in and boost influence. Avic would have been our lowest system, a whole eight points below the previous two on 25. However, as we've already heard, we lost the last chapter in the Forever War, 4-2 to two, to Sirius Corp. So we don't own it anymore. The reaction in the bar was generally been, oh well, before they all went back to their conga ales and gossiping about the latest goings on in the war with Tharg. Hard to move Epsilon India is joined on 37 by LP525-39. 36 of Fiucci has had a good week, gaining five points to leave it on 38. The last of the delinquents is Ross671 that has just dipped below 40 for the first time in a few weeks. Notice how we don't talk about Bernard Starr much these days. Living the high life on 43. Despite the news from Avic, Alvin is happy to take a tail-wagging one-in, one-out philosophical view with the addition of Minjka after an election victory to his systems roster. It was almost as if to say, if Lee Yong-ri wants that poxy old system so badly, then he can have it. And then he cocked his leg in the general direction of Avic before attacking a seti rabbit-flavoured dentist stick. At the overachieving end of the Hutton Systems table, we have two systems above 60%, as it looks like someone has overdone it in LHS 340. Priorities this week are, if you want to truck something, boost Stein 2051 and Hill Pass C. If you want to shoot something, go try one of those new flavoured Thargoids. Yeah, okay. Um, right, we have a report from Commander Borderiva this week about the Surface Activation and Retrieval Task Force. After action report, 3309-0509, Bravo Delta Alpha 1740. Location classified. Start team, reactivation and retrieval fail by team one. En route to Thargoid control system, no hyperdiction encountered. However, two in-system interdictions were encountered. On closing target station, SART Team 1 ships came under sustained attack by approximately six Thargoid surface units designated Revenants. Deployed SART Team 1, Scorpion SRV, dismissed ships and engaged Revenants. Retrieved new material, Thargoid carapace. Despite multiple Revenant liquidation, scouts appear to deploy reinforcements Enforcement Revenants. Scouts will engage Scorpion SRV. SART Team 1 were lost after engagement by Scout. Thargoid Carapace not returned to base. Surface Activation and Retrieval Force Task Force 
After Action Report, 3309 0509 Bravo Delta Bravo 1800, location classified. Start Team 2, reactor version and retrieval success by Team 2. En route to Thargoid Control System, two hyperdictions encountered. Minimum damage. In system interdiction encountered, again with minimal damage. On closing target station, one member of SART Team 2 deployed on foot, whilst one was lost on deployment to surface during heavy fire. Contingency deployment of 13 member on foot, successful. Power restored and item retrieved. Destroying several revenants in the engagement. SART Team 2 evac from base by foot, out of sight of revenants and recalled Ship 1. Recall of Ship 2 was cancelled as Ship 1 came under sustained fire from Revenants, Scouts and Interceptor. Both team members embarked Ship 1, with one member of SART Team 2 subsequently deployed out at LZ Baker to recall Ship 2, while Ship 1 drew off Scouts and Interceptor. Serious damage sustained by Ship 1. Two hyperdictions encountered exiting system. Start Team 2 ship, Ship 1, recovered to base with 8% hull. Start Team 2 ship 2, retrieved with 77% hull. Well, that was seamless. Yeah, well, you know, start as you mean to go on. Yep, true. <laughs> and we did, didn't we? <laughs> we pushed it all the way. So, first question of the week. Has there been a Frontier live stream? Seamlessly. Pardon? Mm. Well, they didn't have a single seam in theirs because they didn't have one. <clears throat> oh, there wasn't one? Ah. Oh, no. Well, that's about rubbish. Um, okay, should we move on? To, to, to be fair to them, I think they, they took a choice between giving us a live stream or giving us an update. Yeah, I'll take the update. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take the update. Even if it does mean I get lasered in the face more often. Yeah, and I noticed you've stopped saying shot and shifted to lasered. Yeah, yeah, I've shifted to lasers because <laughs> the, there's no much difference between shot and shit. Yeah. You know. And, and, and maybe they've been shitting in my face, I don't know. Well, it's that caustic goo, isn't it? So. Yeah. And you don't have windscreen wipers on a space helmet. Well, they dissolve if you did, I think, with that stuff. Yeah, probably. Probably. But there we go. So, you mm. know. Yeah. So it's, it's been all go. Um, shall we move on to some space news then? I, I feel as though we need an introduction for the space news segment. You, you know, think like, so? Da -da 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 -da. Space news. Da -da 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 -da. Space news. You know, I think, I think we should try and incorporate. Josh, you need to clip that for next week. Yes. <laughs> I can do it again after the show. You can Yeah, it. yeah, we're happy to do it again. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll put a nice little beat underneath it and, you know, for a vocoder or something. It'll sound great. <laughs> space news. News from space. <laughs> it's like, uh, recall, do you remember the Muppets? Pigs in space. In space. <laughs> How could I forget? Yes. What was the captain called? Something portline or something, wasn't it? Link Portline or something. L L Link, Link Swineherd? 
Link Swineherd, yes. It may have been Link Swineherd, yes. Oh, Sorry, fantastic. we're getting off topic. Space news. That's a topic. Peace in space is space news. Yeah. But it's, it's, it hasn't it's been space old news space before. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's space old, yeah. but it's space news. Old space, old news, space news. Yeah. So, speaking of old, in the, in the truest traditions that only, only Britain would do, we are going to knit a spy satellite. Oh. Okay. Knit one. I mean, yeah, we're going to knit one. As in, um, like, like with with knitting needles. Probably, probably. I mean, it's not, it's no, you know, it's none of your nonsense, none of your cheap nonsense. They're using four ply wool, which is the dear stuff. I'm told. Oh, fancy. Yeah, yeah, and they get lots of uh, lots of nanas to sign the official secrets act and things like that. You know, and hmm. you wouldn't want to drop <laughs> so, a stitch halfway around it. You would, would you? no, you would not. Um, <laughs> I'll see if I can. I'm not even in the chat for. For Twitch, how how of me? I'll jump into the chat and Twitch, and I'll I'll post a link to the article. Copy. But yeah, we're going to net a spice that light. There we go. Thank you. I'm just going to make sure this thing. Yep, it's muted. That's good. Uh, so yeah, so they're mm. going to what they're going to be doing is where is this thing? So so that it seems to be a good way of making a a spice satellite that's quite. Quite soft. a low, has quite a, yeah, quite soft and fluffy and <laughs> comfortable. Um, he uses radar technology to see through cloud and will even work at night. Well, of course, it'll work at night if he's using radar. It would be a rubbish one, wouldn't it? It'd be a rubbish satellite that just went, you can only use that in the daytime. What? Yeah, I mean, it's got headlights, but they'll never get down to that range. Um, well, it'd be useless yeah, to go into the moon as well if it couldn't go at night. Yeah. Exactly. I think that was that was uh, Trump's mission to the sun, wasn't it? We'll go in the daytime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, knitted tungsten wire mesh that's folded tightly for launch, but which will spring out. Oh, that's not going to work, is it? This is British. It's not working. Which will spring out once in orbit to form a large umbrella-like shape. When they say large... Are they trying it on as they go, these grannies? Or is it going to be like a Christmas jumper that comes grannies down to your ankles? Don't try, grannies don't need to try it on. They don't need you. You mean with the whole part of it up against the front of you? That's the one, yeah. They don't need to do, to do that. Not unless not unless, unless the Earth has grown in the last year. Right. So um, so this radar mesh is going to work at night by dragging along the ground. 200,000 miles yeah. below the yeah. satellite, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it drags it. It's a man, a man in a rope with a... Man in a rope with a camera. <laughs> um, Yelling, I can't cast off. Help. Yes. I didn't learn that bit. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that could make it more British is if they launch it off that jumbo jet, the Virgin, the Virgin had. <laughs> or if they uh, used it to strain tea. Yes. So, it's yeah, it's going to be a knitted satellite, knitted, knitted at a tungsten, but, you know, still Only knitted. in England. Yeah. It's just, oh my God, so special. And by the looks of things, in the image that they've shown, it's spying on the UK. It seemed, Well, it seems to be spying on Wales by the looks of it. That's fair enough. Just Wales. Have, just Wales, yeah. yeah it's got two <laughs> big yellow lights. Two I mean, big yellow lights showing where it's focusing. Two big lines focusing right onto Wales. Is England in some kind of Cold War with Wales then that I don't know about? Uh, well... Only not North yet. Wales. Not yet. They haven't built the satellites. <laughs> yeah. 
It looks beautiful though. I mean, this looks really nice, and but this whole thing of it will spring out and it'll unfold, and you go, "Ah, oh, no." Yeah. Oh, to, to be fair, I mean, it sounds a lot like an umbrella. Yeah. England is very, very good at umbrellas. I, well, we get a lot true. of practice at umbrellas. That's true. Lots, of, <laughs> lots of practice. Um, so they may need your skills, Helen. Can you knit? What's that, sorry? Can you knit? Yeah. And oh, crochet. Oh, and crochet. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, you <laughs> could do the fancy patterns in the middle bits then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crochet those, yes. Yeah. But, uh, and cross stitch. And cross stitch. They were gonna they were gonna uh they were gonna use Icelandic knitting techniques and make it into an Iceland Icelandic jumper, but they've they done an use... Icelandic jumper. Yeah, they didn't want to use they didn't want to use foreign technology, so they've just stuck to the normal knitting. <laughs> um and then uh European space European weather satellites taking its first images, which Ooh. confused me a bit because it's meant to be monitoring the Euro the weather in Europe, but it took a big picture of Africa. But you know, <laughs> So it's, it's so good. So it's close enough. Yeah, it's an equal opportunity satellite. Yeah. You know, maybe it's a spy satellite. You just never know. You never know what's going Look, this is a hard desert. It's hot and dry. Yeah, yeah we, we knew that. <laughs> There's some guy that in the office that presses the buttons to the pictures saying, oh, it'll be fine in the edit. Yeah, it'll be fine in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. That's absolutely what I'm hoping. Absolutely. So yeah, this is it's looking, you know, it's looking yeah. good. So you just get some nice pictures there, and it can monitor weather weather around the clock and to, all to the other things. To it, it is actually a geostationary satellite, which means it has to be over the equator, and that's why it's a picture of Africa. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they're, they're, they're not quite that stupid. They're not hunting truckers, you know. They are actually yeah. space scientists. These guys. Who's hunting are stupid? <laughs> Have you met hunting truckers? Some of them are nearly as dumb as me. <laughs> To be no, fair, um, to be fair as well, some of your weather does, quite a bit of your weather does start in Africa. As Bob Ross said, it's just a bunch of happy accidents. Happy little accidents, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Already had a few of those tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having one now. I'm keeping quiet. Yeah, lock it up <laughs> after the show. Um, and then the third piece of space news we have is that there is debate going on about how and when they will deorbit the International Space Station. Which is deorbit. Deorbit. What I mean is crash it into the planet. Oh, are they gonna film no. it? Crash but it in a controlled manner. In a controlled into the manner. planet. It's still gonna hit it. Let's be honest, it carries. But they, they are choosing where to hit it. So when is that happening? Uh, eight years. Are they well, gonna film it? Unless something horrible happens, it'll be in eight years. <laughs> I'm sure the other can gradually bring it lower and lower and then eventually they get to a stage where they go, right, get the crew off now. And the crew gets off and then it hits the point of no return and it just gets drawn in and drawn in and then it's it's expected to crash into the Pacific Ocean. Could you be a bit more specific? <sighs> it could be a bit more Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to crash into the Pacific Ocean somewhere. So what um, are they going to replace it with? Don't know. Funny you should ask that. Yeah. Earlier today, uh, Vast Space, what a great name for a company, yes. a California startup, announced that they plan to launch the first ever com completely commercial space station on a um, Elon Musk rocket in <laughs> 2025. 
<laughs> Does that mean so, it's going to be coming in Aiming for no earlier than August 25. So it's what, probably going to blow up on the platform. Oh, yeah. No, Musk are pretty reliable these days. It's only the uh, the Falcon Super Duper Mega Heavy that blows up on the platform. They'll just be using a normal Falcon 9. Hmm. That'll be fine then. So, yeah, so that's what they're replacing it with. Like, going to be filled with hotels and restaurants and and so but people can visit. It's going to be potentially. Filled. I think it's but, probably uh, going to be filled with shitty tiny labs where they'll do experiments for people. I think um, it's going to be filled with, with rich people. Yeah, the, the last company that seriously planned on doing space tourism with stays was uh, Bigelow, the people with the uh, the inflatable bouncy castles. Sorry, inflatable habitation modules. <laughs> and sadly, they went bust in COVID. Oh, they went bust, did they? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bubble burst. The bubble burst, oh God. But the technology has survived and there is somebody else using it. I can't remember the name of the company though. It's been a long week. So yeah, somebody else is planning planning on the um, the expanding orbit modules, and um, yeah, they do hope to get space tourism going. Nice. But yeah, the, the, there are no plans currently to build a low Earth orbit, yeah, um, government space station yeah. on any sort of basis. The Chinese um, have got one up there that some people may get involved in, but um, America won't because because China. Yeah, China. But. Uh, but America are hoping that there will be multiple commercial ones, and why should the government do it when private enterprise can spend a yeah. fortune on are it? Are they going to build one at the moon? Yeah, but that's not low Earth orbit. They're, they're planning no, a lunar gateway station, orbit. which is sort of a stepping stone to the moon, so they can go to the lunar gateway station, take a, a separate bus down to the uh, planet, or moon, tootle around for a while, head back up to the lunar gateway, get back onto their original bus and head home. Or kick off and head for Mars. It probably wouldn't bother with the Lunar Gateway for that. It would be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, okay. I always thought that was going to be one of the things for the, for the Mars it's mission. A, it's a science test bed. It's a technology test bed that will be using all of the same techniques and systems as they would use. And it's a really mm -hmm. good example of being more than just a couple of hours from Earth because when it really comes down to it, the ISS is fabulous and it's been manned for, what, around 20 years now continuously? Oh, yeah. But... If there was an emergency, they could all be home in a couple of hours. Yeah. And that's so, always the case, which is a very nice safety valve to have. They won't have that at the moon. So, yeah. It so, means I think you have the to new, make things the new work. gateway station, then the lunar gateway station, would be effectively a stationary a Mars ship. So, it wouldn't have um, systems, but it would sit up there and float around like a Mars ship would to be, like you say, if they're using all those systems. Well, it'll sit, it'll sit there a lot like an international space station, but quite a bit smaller. But it's a place where they can dock multiple ships to and transfer supplies between them and yeah. refuel the lander and all this sort of thing. So the ship itself will be a specifically designed gateway, but how they refuel things and how they do oh, the docking okay. and what they I get see. there will all be the same sort of tech as they use for future Mars missions. Yeah, because I know at one point there was talking actually building the Mars ship in space, wasn't there? Uh, there's often talk about it. It's um, <laughs> it's it, it, it's less a build it in space as a some assembly required. Yeah, it's not so much have a factory as have a set of IKEA instructions. Yeah, so you send <laughs> up a bit at a time and put all the bits together. Yeah, you've always got one bit spare at the end, and you just quietly stick it in a pocket. Yeah, yeah, it's just a few few washers that'll be fine. Nobody yeah. need those. Yeah, but the the international space station is due to go splash. Yeah, um, it was originally due to go splash years ago. 
They just yeah. keep exp- extending it and extending it and sending a bit more fuel up and, and pumping mm-hmm. it back up into a higher orbit and, and sticking sticking plasters over the holes that start appearing in various <laughs> modules. And, yeah, they'll be fine. Patting out the fires. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. It's reliable. It's it's flight tested. Yeah, but when it does the odd, but depends on what's left of it, you might be able to get that. Uh, you'd be yeah, hard pushed. Yeah, you'd be lucky, I know. Unless they miss quite badly and it comes down on land somewhere, it'll never be seen again. It's it's quite a deep bit of ocean in the middle of the Pacific they aim for. Oh, okay. And, and if you're a in a plane of the boats, down there. they will clear. And presumably well, it's not going to be exactly salvageable by the time it uh, hits the ocean. Um, You'd be surprised. You do actually get bits of uh, spent rocketry floating up on beaches occasionally. Mm. I suppose for, for just as... It's souvenirs. People would pay money for it. That would help you fund your programs. Mm. Except it costs so much to bring it back down somewhere safely and controlled that it would be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, they did it with Skylab. They landed it in the middle of Australia. I don't think they wanted to, though, did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, on that happy note, should we move on? Mm. I guess we probably should. Yeah. We have a mug winner. Oh, yes. But do we have a drum roll? This week. (laughs) This week's mug winner is David by Jerbalar. David by (laughs) Jerbalar. Okay. (laughs) I'll paste it into the chat just in case. David by Gerbalar? By David Biggerbyler. That's better. There's, there's yes. lots of ways you could pronounce that. Many of them. I have sent them a Hutton helper message as well. It does sound like a fragrance. David by Gerbala. By Gerbala. <laughs> oh, I actually read it as David Big Gerbala. Oh, don't David know, with so. a big Gerbala, yeah. <laughs> that could be, yeah. Well, hopefully David, David, David like. Hopefully David by Gerbler can let us know exactly how his name's supposed to be pronounced. Hopefully. Hopefully. Although if he if he actually sends you an email, oh. it'll all be in text. So yeah. Commander Bulkarius claims that it is Swedish and it means a builder of cars. Oh, fantastic! Oh. By Gerbler. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, sort of sandalwood undertones in Bergamont, but you know. You carry on. It's perfectly possible. <laughs> I just saw the gerbil bit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of fragrances, this week's word of the week is Gardilou. Oh, Gardilou. What does it mean? A warning shouted when one is about to throw waste out of a window into the street. How Tudor of you. Can you use it in a sentence, please? I certainly That's can. Not, it's not Tudor, it's Glaswegian. <laughs> Tudor. <laughs> Cecil had the good grace to shout Gardilou before emptying his gazunder out of the window onto the parade. Gazunder, and we haven't had that as a word of the week. We yet. haven't had the gazunder <laughs> yet, yeah. But that will that leads us into next week. <laughs> gazunder. So, so is that French version underneath it actually the origin of the word or yeah. very possibly. That's yeah. what I was taught yeah. at school. It's yeah. definitely yeah, it's definitely got French origins. Sorry, Flossie, you can't tell me you went to school in Tudor times. I don't believe it. 
<laughs> no, not quite. But I was taught it at school. Yeah. And so Flossie's in Tudor times. Yeah, Flossie's version uh, says, "Was it? What was it, Helen? Was it look out for the water?" Yeah, God, I love. Yeah. Yeah, look out for the water. Or the other version I heard was Gardy Lewis and Gardy Vu, which was look out or watch yourself. You know, either way, re- act fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Incoming. Look Incoming. Out for the yes. Stuff coming on your head. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like an, an England, you know, an English trying to pronounce the French. Uh, yeah. 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 Gardy Lewis. Uh, that's Gardy exactly Lou. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is where we get the word Lou from as well for the toilet. It is, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They used to just shout Gardy Lou and just chuck it out the window. <laughs> At least you, had, shouted. you had to be fast in your feet in those days. <laughs> Wide bore open top sewage system. Yeah. So, um, while we're on the subject of things that make you turn your nose up, what do you call an anteater that's three foot long? Jeff. That's, um, that's a bit rude, isn't it? It's a yard fuck. Uh, uh, a fuck. A fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yard fuck. <laughs> yard fuck. Well, that was yeah. rather wonderful banter. Lots of space stories and some outrageous humour. Um, but now it's time to move on. It's time for Flossie with the Community Goals News. It's Flossie, it's Flossie, it's Flossie, and the Community Girls. Hello, Flossie here with this week's CG News. Last week's CGs ended on Tuesday, as they started on the Tuesday of the previous week, so that they wouldn't be interrupted by Update 15. So they finished on uh, Tuesday morning before Update was um, done, and the first one, Established Thargoid Pulse Neutraliser Production, finished between Tiers 1 and 2, with almost 20 million units collected. Actually, my alt, Poppy, finishing top 75%, but doesn't own or qualify for any of the ships for the paint jobs. Uh, Protect deliveries to Clement Orbital finished between tiers 4 and 5, with 94.5 billion credits earned. Anyone in top 75% of either CG should have received the new paint jobs. And uh, Frontier staff are taking a well-earned break following Update 15, so there are no CGs this week. And that's it for this week's CG News. told you what to do. Right, so see they gave you a working end of flossy button, not like me last week. Anyway, now... Time to go over to the Thargoid Glaives of News, fast, manoeuvrable, and always where you least expect them. It's Beetlejude and Wotherspoon with the Galnet News Digest. Galnet News Update, 10th of May, 3309. 
the eight maelstroms that form the nucleus of the Thargoid invasion each contain a Thargoid mothership, the destruction of which may be the key to halting the invasion. Since Thargoid pulse wave neutralizers became available yesterday, many hundreds of commanders have successfully made the journey to the still core of the maelstroms. What they found appears to be a huge ship with an internal docking bay, or possibly an interdimensional portal, through which Thargoid interceptors and hunters can pass with ease, but which are, at least so far, impenetrable by human ships. Aegis has refused to confirm that these are the so-called Thargoid hive ships that have been talked about for so many years, but it seems indisputable that the function that these ships are performing is that of a mothership, and that the Thargoids currently waging a war against humanity are coming from these ships. It also appears indisputable that the Thargoid structures found in the Pleiades and in HIT-22460, where Salvation built his Proteus wave, are crashed motherships. The reverse side of the ships in the Maelstroms have just the same layout as these ancient sites. So, when he fired the Proteus wave, Salvation was waking up a long-dead Thargoid hive ship and giving it the means to transmit back to all the other hive ships details, information about what humanity, in the person of Salvation, had done. The hive ships have turreted cannons or lasers of some sort and bear a striking marking similar to that seen on other Thargoid ships. They are able to self-heal, a process that releases a network of curving blue light beams, which is astonishingly beautiful. They are accompanied by interceptors and hunter Thargoids and by caustic seed mines, which are similar to the caustic generators found on the fringes of the Maelstrom. The environment is not inherently dangerous, and it appears that new materials can be blasted, possibly abraded off the surface of the hive ship. Cold running ships can remain close to the hive ship without detection for some time. Aegis has warned commanders that entering the Maelstrom is inherently dangerous, with much that is not yet understood. Combat is possible, using non-Guardian weapons such as AX Multicannon, but is likely to prove fatal. Escape from the Maelstrom is possible, as long as commanders have at least a couple of rounds of caustic sinks in their launchers left over. An assessment of what has been found in the Maelstrom and of what we can or should do to make use of what we learned is expected from Aegis within the next week. Meanwhile, commanders competent in on-foot power-up missions and who are willing to take on the scavenger-like Thargoid patrols at abandoned bases, if Thargoid-controlled systems are encouraged to take missions from the in-ship mission menu in Thargoid alert and attacked systems. Their actions, should they be successful, will benefit both the system from which they took the mission and the system containing the base. It is possible to complete such missions using stealth, but for a full frontal assault, a well-engineered plasma weapon can effectively take on the Thargoid Revenant patrols quite effectively. Thank you, Commanders Beetlejude and Wotherspoon. Oh dear. Echo, echo. 
<laughs> and now we go over to the Thargoid Scavenger of News. Small, irritating, and smelling of wee. It's Mia Harkness with the Hutton Helper results. Helper results. The Hutton Helper results are sponsored by the Hutton Helper, the only third-party resource to come with an Iron Loan Patch 15 patch. This week we have the following events. The I Don't Like Change Warm Meeting Cup, the Cutter Full of Pulse Neutralizers Tournament, the Are the Servers Up Yet Deja Vu Trophy, the Those Glaives Are A Bit Hard Charity Shield, the Thuckers to the Left of Me, Thuckers to the Right Spectacular, and the Apex Taxis don't go south of the Thargoid area this time on Night Award. So, start the download. The Hutton Helper results are... Lilith Serenada jumped 29,000 light years to come first in distance travelled. Dart Virtual sold 39,000 tonnes of cargo. Rinswin Kimbrew so is top mission runner with 388 mission points. Alex Zuno handed in 500 million. 500,000 and 500 credits worth of bounties. Alexandra Z, wonder who that could be, handed in a staggering 13.9 billion credits of combat bonds. Popper App destroyed 142 Thargoid ships and Nizgo delivered 3,216 people to their various destinations. So, this week we have decals for Lilith Serenada, Alexandra Sned, and Okayam for something else. I think it was mining. Please email I took part at huttonorbital.com and arrange to collect your Hutton decal kit, which this week consists of a belligerent thucker, a packet of forum brand salt and shake crisps, and a dimmer switch for your string lights. There have been seven Hutton ones by four commanders in the last seven days. The Berk, 1 hour 24 minutes and 1 second. Jack Lulette, who did 2 runs, the best of which was 1 hour 24 minutes and 11 seconds. Then David by Gerbler, remember him, did 3 runs and the fastest of those was 1 hour 25 minutes and 39 seconds. Very much bringing up the rear is Hi Joe B with 3 hours, 16 minutes and 17 seconds. <laughs> yeah. That's better. It takes much less time to read that way. There is a whole galaxy of stuff out there needing litibulated, desalinated, shuggled, taken offline, exploded, launched, verified, motivated, evacuated, unfriended, dejected, manhandled, or women handled, smeared, deflected, kept warm in the oven, emphasized, fertilized, snuffled, flip-flopped, mistranslated to and from Spanish, chilled, mugged, ginned, wrapped up with a pretty bow, shipped, short rescued, having their immersion ruined, battered and deep fried, dead drop painted and rolled out of hell, destroyed, bought the phoned in, squeezed, inflated, patched, liquidated, evaporated, smelled licked, discombobulated, recombobulated, headbutted, eviscerated, compressed, enveloped, strained, fermented, motorized with an S, and terabanged, upcycled, violently downcycled, disallowed, then reallowed after consulting VAR, smelted, loved, adored, cherished, and probinated. 
and you can earn yourself a very fetching hutting decal for doing it. To get involved, you just have to go to hot.forthemug.com and download or sign up for the spectacular Hutton Helper, available in three big and pretty formats. Let's face it, anything has to be better than wandering into a base full of angry arrows. Anyway, that's it for this week. Back to Studio 5. Now we go to Amelia Hawk for the Gunlet Rest Digest. Good evening. This is Amelia Hawk reporting for the Galnet Rares Digest. We try all the galaxy's rarest and most dangerous commodities. So you don't have to. This week we've gone back to Coquim docking at Hirayama Installation, an Acellus starport deep in Imperial space. Coquim is, on the face of it, an uninteresting system. An M-type star surrounded by only a pair of gas giants and a collection of icy worlds. As with Europa and Titan, early candidates for discovering life in the soul bodies, these icy bodies do indeed harbour life. What's more, it isn't microbial. Deep in Coquim's musty caves, life thrives. The walls of natural caverns are lined with growths, bioluminescent creatures and countless cave-dwelling troglodytes that prosper in this subterranean biosphere. It is here, dotted throughout the caverns, that the spongiforma Coquimoli, to give it its pig Latin name, grows. With your lights off and in the dim light, you can just make out their shape, glowing faintly in the dark and looking like nothing more than green-tinged brains perching on rocky outcroppings. In a case of parallel evolution, whilst they're not part of the spongiforma genus found on Earth, they're remarkably similar, though significantly larger. Reaching sizes of up to one meter wide and three quarters of a meter in height, they're remarkably resilient. Stand on one and then step back and they spring back into shape. Outwardly, their surface, when seen in natural light, looks like a brassica. And due to the lack of natural pigmentation, reminds me of cauliflower. Occasionally an outcrop. You can see a, a green spongiform, but it will... I'll talk more on that a little later. Cut into one of the brains, and the interior is like the icy moons they live in, riddled with hollows and chambers, roughly almond-shaped in appearance. The description of brain-like carries on, with a thick stem branching and branching again to the edge of the spongiform, creating a network that looks like an alien tree. Discovered early in the existence of the Empire, the Coquim spongiforma, probably due to their similarity to the brassica that were popular with your imperial Sunday banquet, were plentiful and harvested in their millions as a foodstuff. The Empire's early expansions were entirely military-driven, and the Coquim sponge became a staple of many an imperial cohort occupying some distant strategic icy moon. 
they were effect, you know, they were actively cultivated by the empire as victuals, and coquim spores were placed just about anywhere dark, dank, musty, and cold. In the intervening thousand or so years since their discovery, imperial troops planted, harvested, and ate them by their tens of millions. Though with the advent of a, a greater variety of foods throughout space, their, their popularity has waned. These days, their last remaining outpost is back in their original home, Coquim. Now they're served as delicacies by imperial gastronomic alchemists, Coquim Three Ways reportedly being a favourite of Ashling Duval. Coquim foam is added to the top of fish dishes, and Coquim sponge pudding is a confusing, if interesting, flavour on your dessert menu. Uncooked, it's, it's a bit like eating squid. Seems like a good idea at the time, but rubbery and unappetising. Cooked, however, and the flesh firms up, and there is more to get your teeth into. Sliced into centimetre-thick wedges, grilled, and served with a good relish, they make for the perfect side dish of a meaty banquet. Pickled, the brains soften and become jelly-like. Immature specimens being served at dinner parties stuffed with flavoursome fillings. In fact, stuffed coquim of all sizes are, are popular at imperial dinner parties, not least of which because in the dim light they glow giving the perfect accompaniment to a candle-lit soiree. One of the reasons that the spongiforms were well-liked was their ability to absorb flavour. Soak up a little gravy and the whole thing tastes like a delicious roast meal. Dip one in your sauce boat and you can eat mouthfuls of filling coquim sponge in any flavour you choose. With a packet of flavouring and a handy spongiform victual, you can make a meal out of just about anything. As for the danger, well, you'll remember I mentioned not eating the green spongiforma. These varieties have an entirely different effect on the human body. They are master breeders. Queen sponges that produce thousands more spores than the white variety, spongiforma can, can well, can eject their own seed. They, they rely on cave-dwelling creatures to do that for them, and, and green coquim sponges are the super-spreaders of the genus. Normally brushed against by the plentiful cave crabs that live in the coquim's icy bodies, they have little effect, deposited wherever they're dropped. In the human body, they spread and grow rapidly. The first you'll know of this is a feeling of being very full, um, then painfully so as the spongiforma absorbs your vital fluids and grow exceedingly rapidly. They spread and eventually all that's left is a lumpy, rubbery, brain-like lump that may have once been a hungry imperial. So, rare? Um, well, they've been scoffed to near extinction. Tasty? It depends on what you cook them with. Dangerous? Only if you're not watching what you're sticking in your mouth. I'm Amelia Hawke, this was the Galnet Rares Digest, and I'm staring at a dish in front of me that wouldn't look out of place in a zombie's favourite meal. Whole coquim spongiform with a red wine sauce.
Oh, well, thank you very much for that, Amelia, introducing us to those uh, rather delicious-sounding uh, space sprouts. I, for one, can't wait to uh, try <laughs> some. I don't like, I don't oh, like we, cauliflower. We I like sponge. Yeah, I, I like sprouts. sponge. Dry <laughs> sponge cake we're sharp. In, yeah, we're not allowed anything sharp. <laughs> that sounds like it's for the best. Oh. Yeah. Nice oh, round edges. <laughs> yes, oh. yes. Not much risk of getting hurt, although I'm sure we'd find a way. Yeah. I did like the way that it soaks up flavour, though. You know, you can dip yeah. it in anything that would taste like whatever it is. Anything at all. Even slap your mama. Even slap your mama. Cajun <laughs> sauce. Cajun spice. Um, oh. That is actually a real spice, as as used in the Galactic, um, galactic Area 18... Mm. Morgan, it wasn't Morgan Eucadons, was it? Because Paladin, um, not Paladin. Crispy tree rodents. Crispy tree rodents, yes. <laughs> I said that three times, but I was on yeah. mute the first two times. <laughs> <laughs> crispy tree rodents! Galactic and you, and you ignoring me? Crispy tree rodents. And you need some slap your mama. remember anything else. <laughs> and it was Palantir that crushed the Morgan Eucadons. Yeah. Uh, that man has not no gastronomic limits. Paladin. Mm. How on earth did I get Palantir mixed up with Paladin? They both because they're like opposites. Because he's a proper they're both foodie. Full of <laughs> they both have P-A-L-A and mm. that's all you need. Once you get that far into your words, you can't be bothered reading the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pile of letters after that, isn't it? Yeah, it's just all garbage after that. <laughs> Very good. People with the reading and the saying things. Root. And all these worms. And their the enunciation. Yeah. I think you find that's pronunciation. <laughs> yes. How, how oh. do you pronunciate enunciate? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is it, or is it is pronunciify? It, uh, maybe. Pronouncements. Pronouncement. Well, yeah, you can have a pronouncement, and you can pronounce a pronouncement, and you can enunciate when you pronounce a pronouncement. Oh, well, you obviously enunciate. This well, is yes, a good ending to the show. The pronouncement works. <laughs> Not the enunciation. Yes, um, I, the English literature uh, lesson with the Hutton orbital druggers. Is, is it uh, time for the thing? I think it's time for the thing. My brain hurts. Yeah. I just want to shout at people. Do we have the yeah. auger? That'd be a yes then. For the mug! For the mug! For the mug! For the mug! 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 Cargo too small The profit margins never really mattered at all We're gonna take the cargo where it's needed today Super cruising all across the Milky Way We'll take anything, anytime, anywhere Loading up the T-Nines to the brim with grass Swivel like the pilot on the Xbox One 
gentlemen that is the end of the show everyone's buggered off now so why don't you buggle off too seamless seamless seamless